Hey, my fellow monkeys, what's up? Old Uncle Silverback here with you on the Armed Ape Podcast, the show where we review and talk about everything from guns, gear, and movies to life in general. Nothing is ever out of bounds. As always, everything we talk about has the end goal of making our lives better by cutting through all the marketing BS using logic, reason, and honest discussions. I look forward to hearing from you soon and to your participation in the show. Hey, my monkeys, what's going on? Uncle Silverback here with you. Today is Sunday. It's the 12th of June, 2016. Let's go ahead and get our contact info out of the way, and then we'll jump in with the show. Have the voicemail, which is 206-745-APE1, 206-745-2731. Or if you would rather send in an email or record your own audio and send that to me, the email address is thearmedape at gmail.com. All one word, thearmedape at gmail.com. Now, on the last show, which is on May 23rd, it was a real super short show, and I discussed that if anybody wanted to, I was going to be talking about um, at least one of these two movies. The first one was Cruel and Unusual, and the second movie was called Hush. Uh, both of these are still on Netflix, by the way, so if you want to send me your thoughts on them and kind of what you thought of those movies, uh, you can go ahead and do that. I didn't get any response if anybody wanted to come on and actually do the show with me. So I will go ahead and forge ahead. The, uh, like I said, the movie we're going to talk about is Cruel and Unusual. And this was released, I believe, back in 2014. The guy who directed it, I am going to butcher his last name, but his name is Merlin Dervesevic or something like that. Anyway, if you go over to IMDb and look it up, you can see who it is. He wrote and directed the movie. I didn't really recognize anybody. Supposedly there's some people that have maybe since gone on or are actually doing some stuff. Uh, but anyway, let's go ahead and jump in with the movie. So it opens up and you have a guy who is giving CPR to a woman and they're on a bathroom floor in a home. She doesn't revive and then he kind of collapses on top of her. From there it cuts and we see those same people are in a car and she's like, you didn't let me even finish my crab cakes. Why do we have to leave? And he stops the car and he gets out and he's like, you can tell he's kind of freaked out. And he's like, what's going on? He walks over toward this tree and then she gets out and she's like, what's going on? Are you okay? And he's like real confused. And he's like, what? He can't make sense of it. And she's like, are you okay? Is, is your medicine kind of making you, you know, feel funny. I, I can drive. And he's like, you're not going to drive. I saw you with my boss over there laughing and you were drinking, you know, you had a couple of drinks and blah, blah, blah. And he's very kind of accusatory when he's doing that. And when he's kind of confronting her on that. And so you can tell that this is a little, a little bit of tension in between them. And we find out that they're husband and wife and her name is Melon, And she is, I think she's Filipino and his name is Edgar, and Edgar is a, a white dude. So they end up getting back in the car, and, oh, oh actually, before they do that, they're kind of having a little bit of an argument, and he is up by a tree, and then off in the distance, maybe about 100 yards or so in the back, you see a, kind of like a uh, just a regular old house in the back there. And he's like, what? What is with this tree? So anyway... He gets a call during their, their kind of their argument, and he's like, it's Gogon's school. They're calling about, like, he got in a fight or something like that. 
So they end up going back home. And when they get there, when they get into the home, Edgar's like, he was supposed to do the yard work and he didn't do it. Now I'll have to do it. And so you can see that Edgar is a little bit harder on her, on, uh, on the son, which is Gogon. And then the mom is a little bit softer. So we cut to Edgar has gone out to finish the yard work that Gogon was supposed to do. And while he's mowing the yard, the mower quits. And so he tries to start it. It doesn't work. And then we cut to him and he's eating dinner uh, and, and he's eating like some soup or something. And Melon is not eating. She's just sitting there and they're starting to talk about like Gogon or what, what needs to happen with him. And Edgar's brother Lance comes in and then we cut to him and they're outside again. Lance is helping Edgar fix the mower and he's like, Oh, here's your problem. It was a, a kite string or something that was, you know, got all caught up in there. Edgar is, is, uh, and his brother are talking and he's like, you never really liked her very much. And, and, uh, she doesn't understand that in America it's different than where she comes from and she's too friendly and all these other dudes are going to get the wrong idea. And so again, you see, he's, he's pretty jealous of her. He doesn't like it that she talks to other people. And then his brother Lance is like, well, you know, look, she's, you know, I'm sure it's just nothing. And he's like, well, you know what you, why are you defending her all of a sudden? You never liked her. And he's like, what makes you think that? And he's like, and then Edgar says, well, didn't you used to say stuff like mail order bride and all this other kind of junk? And I think at this point that Edgar says to him, well, why did you come over here at night? And he's like, oh, I needed you to help me. And Lance is like, I need you to help me with my cell phone. I need you to enter yourself in the contacts. I don't really know how to do that. I can't get my old contacts over. And then, so Edgar is uh, kind of messing with the phone and he's like, well, wait a minute. I thought you said you didn't have my number. How come there is an eight minute call on my phone? You know, what's going on here? And then it kind of, it kind of just, it cuts away from that. And then we see Edgar, he, he goes back into the house and he's like, oh, I don't feel very well. And he's telling Melon, I'm going to rest and go grade some papers. When he's getting ready to go into the, open the door it's kind of stuck to his bedroom and he pushes on it and he falls and when he gets back up he appears to be basically in some type of like an institutional hallway and the number on the door when he looks back is 7375 he also he kind of looks down at his arm and he sees that there are some symbols almost like runes that are on his right arm and he's goes off and tries to figure out where he at where he's at and he goes down to this hallway and he kind of stumbles into this room and there's about probably I don't know 12 to 16 other people or so and there is an older TV like a TV from the probably the 70s or 80s is on a stand and it's in front of the room and there's uh, on the on the actual television there's an older woman and she addresses him directly you know from the TV asks him how he feels about what he's done. And he's like, what I've done. And he's like, he has tons of questions. And then she's like, you need to sit down. You know, he's got all these questions. And at first he's like, I don't, I don't want to sit down, but eventually he does. And then she's like, who wants to come up and tell their story? And then we see a young man and we find out his name is William. And he looks like he's, I think he's supposed to be probably around like, you know, 15 or 16. The actor, I think, is a little bit older. But he looks like kind of like a prep school kid, maybe from the from the mid-60s or so. And he goes up to the front and he says, you know, hi, my name's William. 
And then he recounts how he killed both his parents. And it's pretty gruesome, and Edgar is pretty horrified by the account. It's it's sort of this part in the film where we're kind of meeting some of the other, I guess you'd call them like major cast members. So we meet a woman named Doris uh, and a man named Julian. Edgar is still asking some questions, and then the woman on the TV tells him, you need to go to room 7734. And remember, that was different than his other, his original room number. And so he goes looking for that. He leaves the room. He goes looking for that. And he goes down this hallway and he finally sees sort of an open, a doorway with that goes down with a stairway. And so he starts going down several flights of stairs and he ends up in kind of like a basement type area. But again, it's, it's not like a basement of a home, but it's more like a basement of a, uh, like an industrial thing or like almost like a basement of a high school type thing if you know if you know what I mean and he finds a door and it's and on the door is written 7734 which is the number he was supposed to find so he goes in and he sees there's another TV and it's again it's one of these older TVs and there's a man on it and I think they call them facilitators Uh, but anyway that's that's what we'll go ahead and address them as but so Edgar's asking him what's going on you know why am I here? There's been some mistake. And then the man, the male facilitator, we'll call him, he tells Edgar that he has killed his wife and that that's what the marks on Edgar's arm signifies. And he tells him, the longer you're here, memories on are going to start to get stronger on both sides of the door. And then he also mentions that the more sessions you do, the more your memories will come out and the more you'll kind of understand. And then he also tells Edgar, he says, oh, and you're, you're, you're dead too, by the way. And so Edgar doesn't want to accept this and he tries to leave through, through one of the, there's another door and he tries to leave through that door, but he just comes right back into the same room. And then at one point he kind of opens a door and goes halfway in and then he sees the other door behind him where he's actually coming into the room. He also notices that there is a hatch up on the on the ceiling, kind of like the hatch you'd see maybe like in a submarine type deal. And it's got these handles on four sides of it, you know, all around this hatch. And he's asking, and he asks the, um, the male facilitator, he's like, well, where does that door go? And the guy said, oh, it doesn't matter where it goes. Also, you're not ready to go through that at this time. And so Edgar asks, you know, well, what do you want from me? And the male facilitator says, I want acceptance. And he says, once you, once you have it, you'll find yourself in a better place. And so Edgar then says, I just want to go home. What do I have to do to go home? And then the facilitator kind of nods his head and kind of indicating the door that he had come through. And he says, you just have to go through that door. So Edgar does this and he finds himself back at home at that exact same point in time where he had left. So remember when he first kind of fell through that door at his house when the door was stuck. So he he's back in his bedroom now and he's like, oh man, I don't feel good. And he kind of coughs a little bit and some blood comes up and he yells for Melon, his wife, to call an ambulance. She does this and she tells him, oh, my husband has ulcers and blood's coming up. And this is a little bit of an aside here. I think it's, you know, part of the reason 
why he has ulcers is because he is very, he's stressed all the time. He's, he's so super jealous of his wife and is kind of so controlling of her that I think that that is, is one of the things that's maybe leading to his ulcers. What she tells him is, oh, the ambulance is coming. And he goes and he lays down on the couch while he's laying on the couch and he's kind of, you know, like got his eyes half closed and he's kind of moaning and he says, you know, just, oh, don't leave me, don't leave me. Basically just meaning stay with me here. And then he says, I don't want you to leave me ever. I love you. And then Melan is kind of, you know, she's a little, you know, kind of stressed and, and then she's, uh, feel, you know, you can tell she feels a little uneasy. She's like, and what she tells him is, I know, Edgar, but you love me too much. And he sort of kind of passes out or nods off a bit. And then she gets up and goes to the kitchen and kind of is almost kind of like slowly, you know, sits down like she kind of is almost collapsing to the floor. And she's breathing kind of heavy and she's crying. And then Edgar comes kind of stumbling into the kitchen and she looks at him and she feels, you know, you you can tell she feels pretty uncomfortable and she's pretty scared. And then Edgar kind of says, oh, give me the phone. I need to call the, the paramedics to tell them to, to you know, come get me real fast. Or, or I need to tell them some additional information. So she picks up the, the little portable phone and she's trying to keep it from him. And he backs her in kind of into the bathroom. They fall through the door and he's on top of her. She is trying to inch her way back and she's holding the phone out kind of over her head and back away from him. He's trying to sort of crawl up her body. And when he does, as he's trying to reach the phone, his forearm goes across her neck and somehow he kills her by accident. He, he doesn't actually mean to. So I don't know if we're supposed to believe that he's like strangled her or if he maybe like crushed her windpipe or he, somehow he broke her neck. It's kind of unclear. And then we, we sort of see that same scene that we opened with where he tries CPR and then he passes out and he, I guess from the information we've gotten from the facilitator, we kind of know that he dies on the floor. And then he, we cut to the thing and it's a, you know, a quick cut. And all of a sudden he wakes up and he's back in the car where they were before, where him and, um, Melon were before. And he's realizing, you know, is there a cycle is maybe starting over again. And he, uh, you know, stomps on the brakes and gets out and goes over to the tree again. It cuts to him. They end back up at the house. She goes inside the house and this time he gets some mail out of the mailbox and he opens it up and he sees that it's a bank account that she set up. And he's like, I, uh, why do you need your own bank account? If you ever need any money, you can do it. And, and she's just like, I didn't think you'd understand. And he's like, well, I didn't realize we're keeping secrets. So again, we see, some, you know, we're starting to slowly see stuff that, you know, he controls all the money. So he's he's put a lot of stuff into place and he's, you know, he's overly guarded with her. He really kind of uh, keeps like a tight, oh, kind of a tight rein on her. So then we cut back and he's sort of back out in the yard again and he's he's doing the thing with the mower. Gogon walks up and they sort of have, you know, I guess you'd call it maybe a confrontation of sorts. And again, it's this point that at, 
we find out that Edgar was actually the way he met Melon was he was an English teacher, probably for adults of you know English as a second language type thing. We find out through kind of Edgar and Gogan again who is Melon's probably thirteen year old son. He starts saying things that that um, you know like oh you're you're just the person that my mom is sleeping with you know you're just supposed to be your teacher you weren't supposed to you know do all this stuff and he's like hey I love your mother and all this stuff and then Gogan is saying like look you know she only agreed to come here because she thought I would have a better life. And at this point, you know, that kind of, oh, not necessarily rocks his world a little bit, but it kind of makes him take a step back, Edgar, because he, this is sort of validating some of the fears that he has uh, and, and kind of ties into his jealousy with his wife. And so Edgar threatens to send Gogan back to the Philippines to go work on his uncle's farm. Uh, Gogan's uncle. And he tells Gogan, he says, like, look, your mom and I have been discussing this stuff, and we think this is is the best for you because you're just you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing here. And at this point, uh, Melon comes out of the house. She sees that Edgar and Gogan are kind of having a little bit of a spat. Gogan runs runs off, he takes off, and Melon goes after him. And then we cut over to we cut over to Edgar. He's gone into the shed to get some gas for the mower. And as he's getting it down, he spills some antifreeze on his shirt and then he puts the antifreeze down. Melon comes back and then she says that she couldn't catch up to Gogon. And she says she's gonna go back into the house, but she doesn't go like up through the front. She goes off to the side by the shed. At this point, Edgar goes back to the shed and he notices that the antifreeze that he had set down a little bit earlier is missing. And it's maybe at this point that some things are kind of coming together for him. I don't know. Um, he might think that, you know, what's going on? Is, is she trying to, to poison the, the food that he was eating a little bit earlier? With his suspicions, he goes, he's like, I, you know, he's like, oh man, I don't feel so good. And he's like, what did you put in the, what did you, did you put something in the, in my food? And he goes in and starts digging through the trash and he finds a empty bottle of sleeping pills in the trash. And then he also finds in the cabinet some antifreeze. So at this point, it's probably a good a good place to come to a stopping point. So we've got a lot of the kind of the background stuff that we need to know. But from here on out, there's kind of some major twists and turns and we start to get in into a little bit more depth of some of the other characters and kind of what's going on. So I think at this point I'll go ahead and stop. So like we do when we do our movie review, I'll play the outro music. And when that ends, I'll actually come back and I'll, I'll at that point give the spoiler warning. So if you, if you don't want any more spoilers, this is where you need to end it. Uh, if you do watch this movie, uh, I would recommend it. I liked it. I enjoyed it. Uh, it. It has its ups and downs here and there. Uh, and I'll talk more about maybe some of that stuff with, uh, with some of the spoiler stuff. But it, overall, it was reasonably well acted. Uh, it's not Oscar winner material by any stretch of the imagination, but it is a good story. And I think if you give it a shot, I think you'll actually like it. So 
if you do watch this movie and you have some thoughts on it, go ahead and shoot me an email or a voicemail or an MP3, and I'll play it on the next show. All right, I will talk to you guys next time. All right, so if you are listening to this, this is spoiler territory. We're going to talk a lot about different plot points, a lot of uh, some of the spoiler stuff, and we'll also talk about the end of the movie. So when we left off, Edgar had basically kind of confronted her about, and he had found like some sleeping pills, and he found the antifreeze. We kind of at this point in the movie, as he's as he is sort of going back and forth in between his his. Uh, home I guess we'll call it and the institution we start to meet some of the other characters we meet uh, again we get more in depth with William uh, there's a man Julian that we've we've and we've kind of met him a little bit earlier in the show and there's also a lady named Doris but these are going to be the main characters that we kind of go through with Edgar we find out that Doris had hung herself and one of the things that when she's talking with Edgar she says Oh, I I didn't expect that I would end up here, kind of at this institution type thing. I just thought it would be, uh, it, everything would just go black. Or like, what's what does she actually say? She she has something real specific that she says, uh, something like it's. Uh, I've got it in my notes here. Give me a second here. I thought it would go black and silent. And then, you know, of course, it didn't really turn out that way for her because she ends up at the institution. So uh, we find out that she had killed herself. We find out that, you know, of course, earlier we'd found out that William had killed his parents. And we find out that Julian had uh, had actually killed, he had drowned his children. He had, I think, two or three kids, and he, he had drowned them to kind of get back at his wife. We also see that some of the cycles are starting to, to, re- to reappear to repeat and reoccur when, when we're seeing this stuff, like what we're seeing is we see Doris's family are running out and we see her, her body hanging from a tree. We see that Julian has, is coming up over a creek, a creek bank. We see that William is, you see his dead parents laying on the floor and we see that he puts their hands, you know, together kind of like a, in a loving fashion type thing. Then we kind of cut back to Edgar, and he is back at the institution, and instead of going back to group, what he does, he goes back to the basement, back to that room where he found the, the male facilitator, and he's talking to that guy, and he gives sort of like a, a, a kind of like a false acceptance speech. He's saying like, oh, I know what I did. It was wrong, and I was really mad, and the male facilitator, he's not buying it. He tells him, you got to go. He goes, uh, or uh, Edgar goes back to the group. He tries to convince, kind of like in a whispered thing, that he tries to convince William and Julian and Doris, like, hey, we can we can escape. I've noticed some stuff. And Julian is up for it, and but the other two, William and Doris, aren't. But Doris decides that she's going to go cause a distraction. And what she does is she goes up to the room, up to the front of the room like she's going to kind of give her a little speech or whatever. And she takes the TV and she throws it onto the ground. Uh, at this point, w- when it breaks, 
Edgar and Julian, they run off and they go down to that basement room. And then it kind of cuts back up to the group. And now the TV is back like nothing had ever happened. And the lady is like, well, that's disappointing. And when we cut back to Edgar and Julian, and they're back down in that room, and Edgar breaks the TV. He gets on uh, Julian's shoulders and has Julian boost him up. And he, he opens, he's starting to open up the hatch, but he loses his grip and he falls. But the hatch has been opened. And all of a sudden the TV is back up and it's there's two TVs in there now and it's both the male and the female facilitator. And Julian's like, oh, I was just trying to, you know, buy you guys time until you got down here. I, I wasn't doing anything. And they're telling him he's got to go back to group that he's not ready yet to go through the hatch. And Edgar gets on a desk and he jumps up to those handles that were around the hatch and he's able to kind of pull himself up and through the open hatch. And when he does, he finds himself in a park-like setting. And then you see a shot of him looking back down and then it cuts to the people looking back up at him and they're bathed in light and you can hear birds and all this stuff. You also hear as he was going up through the hatch, you hear the male facilitator basically telling him you're not ready to go through there yet as he's gone through the hatch he closes the hatch and he's walking through the park and then what happens is he sees gogon's bike and he walks up and he he picks up a a bike helmet and he sees that it's got gogon's name in it and what happens here is there's kind of and at first i didn't catch it but what happens here is he sort of morphs with Gogon. At first I thought, oh, they just can't see him and he's watching what's going on. But what actually happens is he sort of morphs into Gogon's body and we find that he gets the explanation of like where Gogon's bike was and why he got in the fight and all this other stuff. And we also see that he... Well, let me. Uh, we'll go ahead and talk about Gogon's experience that Edgar experiences, kind of through him. There are these two kids, and they come up and they're teasing Gogon. They're and they're like, "Give me that bike," and they're going to take the stuff. And then he gets in a fight with him. He hits um, one of the kids has a hockey stick, and Gogon kind of is wrestling with him and kind of hits him in the head. And then the other kid, he starts to to fight him a little bit, and he's getting ready to pick up a rock and hit him in the head with it. Gogon is going to hit this other kid. And then it basically, it cuts to, you, you see a picture of Gogon's hand with a rock, and then the rock all of a sudden changes to a hand with a cell phone in it. And it's, it looks like it's Edgar's hand at first, and then he looks at the cell phone, and it says Edgar Schmidt, which is Edgar's last name, by the way. And then he looks in the mirror, and he sees that he is actually kind of experiencing his brother. So he's kind of morphed into his brother now. And his brother was actually calling Edgar. And it turns out that, uh, Maylon had picked up the phone. They start talking, but of course it's, it's kind of Lance, but it's like Edgar is controlling the stuff. So it's a real interesting thing in the performance here because the actors are sort of performing kind of like Edgar a little bit, if you know what I mean. She tells him, Edgar's not here, and I shouldn't be talking to you. And he's like, no, that's all right. And uh, she's like, look, you know, Edgar's, I don't know who to turn to. Edgar's not nice anymore. You know, he 
he seems like he's angry all the time. And even when he's, he used to be a kind man and now he's not kind and, you know, Gogon is sad all the time. And he says, Edgar does stuff to punish him. And, you know, he, and so, and what she's referring to is like, I guess a lot of times Edgar, if he's told Gogon to do something, and Gogon won't do it. Edgar will go out and do it so that he can kind of throw it and hold it over, throw it in, in Gogon's face and kind of hold it over him. The conversation between Lance slash Edgar and Malon continues. And then she's saying like, oh, I, I wish we had never come here. And it's it, there's an interesting thing here because you you see that that is sort of like Edgar's number one fear. And then, so Lance says, but it's, it's, you can tell it's Edgar who's saying it is like, you're not going to leave, are you? And, uh, you know, so we see that even through all this weird stuff that's going on, that Edgar is still super jealous and controlling and, and wants to, you know, keep her real close. And he's afraid of, of losing her. And then Malon says, well, where can I go? You know, he controls everything. He can't let me get a job. I, if I go out of the house, he gets mad. And then Lance is kind of as Edgar is saying, oh, no, you know, let me, I'll come over. You just, just, you know, stay there. I'll come over. What he says is, as Lance's voice, you know, from what Melon would be hearing, he says, you know, Edgar, he loves you. You know, he'll do anything to keep you. And then Melon's like, yeah, but I don't want him to keep me. And then Edgar, at this point, you know, Edgar morphs, I guess, from Lance into Melon, sort of at the end of that conversation. And then she goes, she slash Edgar now goes and looks out the window. She says that Gogan has come up and then she pops out of the house and then he runs off. He, uh, Edgar slash Melon goes after Gogan and then she he hops over this fence and then she you know calls at him stop he comes back and then they're starting to have a little bit of conversation and then Edgar's saying or not or uh, Edgar slash Melon is saying you know you, you need to come home and we can talk about this stuff and then Gogon is saying oh I just want to live with you I don't want to I don't want to have to go live with my uncle I'm afraid of that guy and you know Edgar is afraid that I'm going to take you away from him I just I just want to stay with you and then Melon slash Edgar you know you you know is like saying well you just you need to you need to just come home and he's saying you know I don't have a home anymore he's going to send me away and then he asks her you know what are you going to do to stop him at this point it cuts to her she's she's walked back home she has a little bit of a conversation with with Edgar, even though Edgar is still kind of in in the Malon body type thing. And she says, Oh, and he's like, Oh, did you find him? And he's like, No, he, you know, he ran off. I, I never could I never could catch up to him. She goes around the side where the shed is, and you see her, she picks up the antifreeze and goes up into the house. And then we cut back from this, and Edgar is now back in the hallway, and then he goes back into group and he says that he's like I've killed my wife uh, it's my fault it's my fault that Gogon uh, is now an orphan and I deserve to be punished for this and this this is my punishment I deserve it and then the female facilitator asks well how do you feel about what you did and then he says I want to tell them I want them to know 
And then he kind of stops for a little bit and then he just kind of shakes his head and says, I'll never be able to tell them how sorry I am, will I? And then the female facilitator says, hmm, apparently you were ready, meaning that he was ready to kind of go up through that hatchway because I guess maybe once you go up through there, maybe that's when you sort of experience stuff maybe through your victims or stuff through the other people's eyes that kind of set you on the path that you were on. Uh, so after, after group, he talks with Doris. He asks her like, you know, what happened? And she tells, well, the punishment for me basically doing the distraction was that I had to go and watch my funeral. And she heard her daughter tell the, the pastor or the preacher there that she, that the daughter thought that it was her fault that her mom had killed herself. And of course, this just tears Doris apart. And that's a big part of Doris's guilt is that she knows she left her daughters behind. She knows that they feel bad. There was a part in the movie uh, where Edgar had actually kind of grabbed onto Doris's sleeve and he had gotten a button from her. And he had put it in his pocket. And then in one of the scenes earlier, when he has gone back through his door, he finds that he's taken her button uh, with him. And then what he says is, he's like, maybe you can come through my door and you won't have to experience, you know, the pain of seeing your daughters again, basically of them finding your body. And he try, and she's like, I don't know. And he's like, yeah, I think you'll be able to do it. And he's trying to pull her through and he gets halfway through the door and the door kind of shuts on his arm and they kind of break contact. And then he's back in his room and he opens up his closet door and Doris is in there. At this point, I'll, I'll bring up kind of another point. Uh, through some of the cycles that Edgar has gone through, if he tries to change something or if he tries to make something happen that would stop him accidentally killing his wife, it will sort of reset or it'll flash back into time a little bit or it'll flash forward past the part that he was at. So he can't really make any changes. No matter what he does, he has to relive that experience over and over again. At this point, though, when, when Doris there is with him, he starts to sort of relive some of his stuff. And he's like, oh, Malon, help me, help me. And then he looks at Doris and he's like, I can't stop myself. I'm going to keep doing this. She kind of goes out the window and she's like, I'm sorry, I can't help you. This was a mistake. Then it turns out that she actually comes back in. She comes back into the house and, and she, Malon sees her and she says, your husband's trying to kill you. And she's like, who is this? And then she's like, go into this door and lock it and don't come out. What happens is when she comes, came back into the house, she, Edgar was, was kind of forcing her back into the bathroom and she hits Edgar with a frying pan. And then that's when she tells her, you know, go into the, go into the bathroom and don't open it no matter what. At this point, Doris and Edgar are talking. He kind of comes to, and he's like, oh, I need to talk to her. And she's like, no, don't say anything because you'll stop this. You won't, you won't be able to kill her because if she goes in there and doesn't do it because Doris is, I guess in sort of his world, if she does an action, it doesn't automatically kind of reset stuff. So he's saying all this stuff like, Oh, I want to tell her I'm star. I'm sorry. And I was wrong. And then you see, there's kind of like a light change it goes from sort of a night scene and you see light coming in from a window and she's like, what's going on? And she goes up through this doorway 
And she looks out the window and she says, well, that's not your yard. It's my yard. And she goes up out of the house and goes onto her front porch and is watching her girls are having like a little tea party thing. And we cut back to Edgar and he's inside and he's writing a note on, uh, it was actually on the envelope that was, uh, that her bank thing had came, had come in. And then Edgar goes, he kind of stumbles out to the thing. And what he, what he's kind of realizing, he's going to question and he's like, well, wait a minute. If, if, if I don't kill her, yeah, I don't have to go back to this place. And this is one thing that I didn't, I didn't mention. I probably should have. When he originally arrived at the group, he had said, well, there's been a mistake. I, yeah, I killed my wife. It was an accident, but she poisoned me. And we both ended up dying. Why am I here? And she's not. And they're, and then they're like, well, who died first? And it was, it turned out that she had died first. So he was technically the one who who killed her. So anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll pick back up here where Edgar is talking with, with Doris and he's saying, well, wait a minute. If, if I, if I don't die, then she, or if she doesn't die and I die, that's how it goes. If she doesn't die and I die, then she'll have to go through and experience all this stuff that I'm experiencing. And I don't want her to do that. And he said, I can't do that. I, I have to go back inside and I have to kill her. And then he, when he's getting ready to go back in inside the house, he looks back and he sees that tree up at the front of the yard and he actually sees Doris is down there and she's got to take in a ladder and she's putting it up to the tree and there's a rope, there's a noose in the tree. And then he looks back and then, but there's also Doris is also sitting there watching her, her kids. Now her kids can't see her. Um, it's like, she's sort of like a specter. So then we cut back to Maylon. She's in the bathroom. She's got her back up at the door. She's kind of crying and then there's a knock on the door and she's like, Edgar. And then she slowly opens a door and it turns out it's Gogon. And then, you know, they embrace and then it cuts back to Edgar and he has gone up to Doris and he grabs her leg while she's on the ladder. She doesn't know who he is. And she's like, you know, who are you? Get away from me. And then this is where he says, it's not like you think it just doesn't go black and silent. And, that kind of stops her because, and, and, the, and he of course has that information in that she had told him that earlier in the group sessions. But of course the Doris who's getting ready to hang herself, when he says that to her, that's sort of her inner, inner workings. She just thinks it's going to go black and silent and will end and everything will be better off for her family because her family will be better off without her. So she's kind of, he gets her off the ladder and she kind of collapses on the ground as as she's on there, she looks up, and what Edgar does is he puts the noose around his neck, and he says, "If this works, you tell her something for me." And she's like, "Who? Who? Who do you want me to tell?" And he's like, "Listen, if this works, you just say, remember these words, even if it is too much." And she's looking at him, and then he just kicks the ladder away, and of course he hangs himself. And the Doris who's on the ground is just screaming and screaming. And then we, we flip back to the, the Doris on the porch with her daughters. One of the, the little daughter kind of gets up and says, like, Mommy, what's that sound? 
And then there's kind of like a little kind of like ripple or a color ripple through there. And, and then also the color changes. It gets much kind of warmer colors instead of the cool colors. The, the daughter turns towards Doris and offers her tea. And then Doris is kind of looking at her and asks her, she's like, you can see me? And she says, well, of course I can see you, mommy. And then Doris kind of uh, embraces him and everything. And so she is sort of back in the 70s from when she had killed herself. We cut back to Melon and Gogon, who are back in the bathroom. And Gogon asks, goes like, where's Edgar? And she says, I don't know. And then Gogon looks down and he finds that the note that Edgar had, had been writing. And he gives it to her. And she kind of reads it and then looks up at him with kind of this oh, kind of like questioning look on her face. And it fades to black. And then it fades back up and it opens up on... Melon and Gogon are going toward the tree where Edgar had hung himself. And then we also see Doris. It cuts over to Doris. Now, it's not the actress. It's a different actress. But it's an older woman. And Doris is saying, oh, here, you know, hold this. It's her, her husband, and then like one of her grandkids are by a fence. And then she goes out to meet Melon and Gogon. And she says to them, oh, it's been a year again already. And they're going to leave some flowers there. And she's like, yeah. And Melon is like, oh, can we just leave these here? For, this is for Edgar. And she's like, oh, why don't we just plant it here? And we'll plant these flowers. And we notice that, of course, Doris would have been probably in her 30s or so, early 30s in the 70s. And so we're, we're flash forwarding up to probably 2014 or so. And it may even be a little bit further than that. It's probably closer to a good maybe four or five years ahead of time. So it's probably, you know, it's probably supposed to be something around like, you know, 2018 or something like that. So anyway, because we see Gogon is a little bit bigger here. He looks a little bit bigger and he's got uh, like a high school letter jacket on. Uh, and he seems, you know, he just seems older. And I, I, I think it was the same kid, but it may have just been a bigger kid. Uh, but anyway, Melon asks Doris, he's like, oh, you know, why here? Why did he pick here? And then Doris is like, oh, you know, every the, the reasons are his own and we will never know. And you'll kind of drive yourself crazy if you try and think about that. And then Melon shows Doris the note and she said, oh, this is a note that Edgar left. And then she reads it out uh, so that we as an audience are going to know what Edgar wrote, but what Edgar wrote in the note was, do not be afraid. I had to do this. It's the only way you and Gogon can be free. No matter what, I will always love you, even if it is. And then she said, this is where the note ends. And then Doris kind of thinks, and then she gets a knowing look on her face. And she says, I will always love you, even if it is too much. And then she goes to clasp sort of Melon's hand. And the shot we get is kind of an overhead shot of, of, of them holding hands or her, you know, kind of giving her like a reassuring squeeze. And when she does, her sweater is kind of pulled up a little bit. And we see she still has the marks on her arm from when she spent her time at the institution. And that, to me, I, I had kind of thought, oh, maybe that there was some kind of weird time stuff going. So once Edgar was able to stop her from hanging herself and the thing faded and, and, and 
it kind of reset to her still being alive with her kids and she doesn't kill herself. When Edgar killed himself, it was during the time right before right before he had killed Melon. So the time-wise of it is even though that Doris stops stops from killing herself back in the 70s, when Edgar killed himself, it wasn't back in the 70s, it was in his time. So the part where Edgar instead of going back into the house when he goes out to the yard to stop her, that kind of corresponds in Melon's time frame of when he left that when he left their house and just never came back. So that's probably clear as mud. But if you watch if you watch the movie, it it makes sense. Once we see those marks and it, it, the the camera kind of pans up and it shows the tree and then it sort of goes into a white fade and then it comes up. There is a new man coming. There, you're, we're back in the institution in the group setting. There's a new man coming in, and he's like, you know, where am I? What's going on? And, and the facilitator woman is there, and she's like, you know, basically sit down. The guy's looking around for a chair. Julian tells him, oh, stay away from that chair. It's infected. And then he's like, stay away from that guy. He's a like a suicide. He committed suicide, and he's proud of it. And then we see it's Edgar, and Edgar has his foot on a chair, and he pushes the chair t- over towards this new guy. And he says, I think you should sit down. And so the guy sits down and then the facilitator lady is like, okay, who wants to go next? And then Edgar raises his hand and she's like, all right, come on up. So he kind of walks up to the front. He turns around and he's got sort of a slight smile on his face. And he says, hi, my name is Edgar. And then the movie fades off. That's pretty much the movie in a nutshell. Uh, There are a few little bitty things that I left out, but that's pretty much how it goes. Hey, my beautiful primates, I took a little bit of a break, but I am back now. So let's talk about maybe some of the themes of the movie and then also some of the questions that I had and that I still have even after watching the movie a couple of times. First of all, I I guess I should say I really like the movie. I think it's a worthwhile watch. It's funny, when I watch movies, sometimes when I watch things, I don't pick up on a lot of the little subtleties and I don't I generally when I watch something unless it's very glaring or blaring I generally don't try and and pick it apart I just kind of have the experience and then if I go back and watch it or sometimes if I think about it I'll I'll say oh well why did this happen or you know what was going on with that type of thing so if you've made it this far into the show and you haven't watched the movie yet maybe some of the things I've talked about will you'll you'll get a little bit different experience uh, and, and pick up on maybe some of the subtleties that they have. So again, with the themes, uh, you know, are are there are there themes of redemption? Are there themes of forgiveness? Are there themes of accepting responsibility for your actions? Things like that, and all those things are in there. It was interesting in if we talk about the facility or the institution or you know whatever we're going to call that. What actually is that? Is that a form of uh, is it hell? Is it a form of purgatory? Is it a thing of... Uh, I, I? There seems to be a lot of maybe Catholic um, beliefs or I can, a dogma maybe is the correct word. I'm not Catholic, so I don't know. Uh, I was raised Protestant. I've kind of you know moved away from that. But, you know, of course, in most religions, there is a uh, an element of you need to atone for your sins, you need to be uh, 
uh, have some some form of maybe punishment for for those sins you you have to show you have to take responsibility you have to uh, be repentant of those of those actions that you have done that would be considered sins by whatever religion you're into so from my standpoint where they were at the institution I felt was a, a type of purgatory in that, you know, there these in, in purgatory, I guess my understanding of it is you go there, you're there for a set amount of time until you atone for your sins. And then after that, you sort of move on to the next level. And in this movie, we actually see that it's a literal thing where Edgar actually goes up to another level when he goes through the hatch and then he experiences Things not from his perspective, but he experiences things from other people's eyes. So he sees how other people see him, and he gets a, a greater understanding or a greater enlightenment of how his actions have affected other people and how his actions play a part in the decisions that other people make. With with him going through the hatch, you know, it, it brings up questions of was that something that he was sort of did on his own and that the the uh, facilitators or the counselors or whoever those people that were that were on the televisions, were they kind of powerless to stop him or is it part of sort of the rules there uh, or how things work in that in that reality? That they, if somebody goes through the hatch, even if they think, oh, you're not ready, do they sort of allow that to happen? And the, the reason I have a question about that is because earlier in the movie, we saw in a couple of instances where the facilitators, by using the level of their voice, can cause great pain. That they can actually cause physical pain, like what happened with Julian when he got his balls smashed. And we actually saw kind of like blood, you know, pouring out of the front of his pants. Um, we see that they can, at least when they're when the, when the people are are reliving sort of their sins, that they can alter time. That if you try and alter something, they can make you redo it over and over until you just accept that you finally have to play your part, or they can just move you past the part where you're changing it and. And so you're sort of powerless to stop what's going to happen because you're having to atone for your sins. You're having to to see, you're having to relive it over and over again. Uh, there's also questions of how, you know, has how long has Doris been there? Has she been there some 30, 40 years? Has William been there since maybe the 60s? So has he been there almost, you know, maybe 50 years or so? What what does time seem like to them? Do they does it seem like how it does to us, like day by day, or does it just seem like it's a never ending thing and they kind of lose a sense of time? Uh, again, I, I I thought a lot of the concepts that they had there was pretty was pretty good. I thought it was interesting that there there were also sort of rules of once Doris kind of goes through and into Edgar's world, the changes that she make, they don't seem to be able to reset them. So again, is that a bigger part of, of, of the plan? And, and was this something that was maybe specific to Edgar that once he brings her through, he can help her and that allows her again to, 
uh, return maybe to earth, so to speak. Um, you know, I don't know. There's, there's so many different questions. And so that was a lot of the, uh, and some of those things are some of the things that I really liked about the movie, that there are things left unanswered. Uh, Getting back to Doris, when she's talking to Malon and Gogan at the tree and they're, they're putting up, they're going to plant those sort of memorial flowers for Edgar. And we see the marks on her arm. I had kind of thought originally, well, then she never experienced that stuff. And so there are questions of, well, what does she remember? Does she remember the institution? Does she remember her time in there? Does she remember the afterlife? Or or is it the marks on her arm? Is that something that we as the audience only see and that Doris doesn't see, but that she is, she has been kind of permanently marked so that it shows maybe when she goes to the afterlife, oh, she has... She's sort of already done her time in purgatory or in hell, and so when she dies, she can, she can move on as long as she hasn't committed maybe you know certain. I, I guess you would maybe call them mortal sins. Uh, it seemed that most people there were, or the people that we met, or the people that we knew about what they did was, they had committed murder, uh, they had committed a mortal sin, um, and in some religions, suicide is considered to be a mortal sin, and other religions is not. So, again, I, I had some questions about that. Let's, I guess we'll talk about some of the things that I really liked. Again, I, I really liked that sort of in Edgar's journey that he finally accepts the fact that his, his controlling nature and his, his jealousy and his fear of loss of Melon is actually what led to her death you know that what caused him the thing that he that he believes he loves the most his actions and trying to keep that are the very thing that makes him lose that and it, it also ultimately makes him lose his own life i also kind of like the fact that at least from my interpretation the reason that well, let's talk about kind of Julian, like he had drowned his kids and William had killed his parents and Doris had killed herself. And again, we go back to that thing of acceptance and once they're going to go up to the next level, the question is, well, why, why haven't those guys moved on? If they've actually truly accepted stuff, they've truly accepted, well, what we did was wrong. Why aren't they moving on? And I, for me, the answer to that was, is because they still felt that they needed to be punished. And I don't think Edgar necessarily felt that he he needed to be punished maybe to the extent that they do, because I think they really think that they deserve to be here. Now, there's a point in the movie where Edgar says, yeah, I do deserve to be punished. And he truly accepts that stuff, and he wants to tell him that he's sorry. But it seems like... With, with his journey, it sort of seems like he's he's still ready to kind of move on to the next level or he wants to try and help them or he wants to try and help somebody else. So he goes beyond and goes sort of outside of himself. And so instead of just being concerned about him and what he has to go through, he's actually more concerned. He, he starts to be more concerned with Doris and he starts to be more concerned with the other people. So I don't know maybe if that's going to be his role is when new people come in, or it, will he be there to maybe try and help eventually Julian or William or some of the other people in the group? Is that kind of going to be his role? 
Again, we don't know. I guess with some of the cons, you know, the acting is is decent. It's not uh, Oscar noteworthy or anything. And there are a couple of people who, eh, they're a little iffy with with their performance, but it's not too terrible. And it's unfortunately the young kid uh, who plays Gogon. He uh, his acting is, comes off as a little flat, and sometimes even uh, the actress uh, who played. Melon, her acting comes off a little flat, but for the most part, everybody does pretty well. It's it's very very serviceable, and again, like I said, I I do think you'll enjoy it if you give it a shot. And if you do watch it, I'd love to hear kind of your take on it. What do you think? Maybe some of the larger philosophical points of the movie is trying to make, or did you enjoy it? Did you hate it? Did you think it was, uh, you know, just kind of a little too pretentious that type of thing? That will wrap up our discussion on the movie Cruel and Unusual. On the next show, I will be doing the movie Hush. This is on Netflix, and I'm not sure if it's on Hulu or some of the other places, but I'm sure you can find it on things like Amazon and uh, if you have Apple TV, stuff like that. If you would like to come on and actually do a little bit of co-hosting with me for that movie, shoot me an email and we'll set up a time. If not... Like I said, I will be reviewing that movie for the next show. I'd love to hear your thoughts again on Cruel and Unusual. And I think we'll wrap it up, and I will talk to you guys next time. Hey, monkeys, I tricked you guys. You thought that the show was coming to an end, but in typical fashion for me, I found some feedback that we got from Thomas in Salem. So take it away, Thomas. Hey, this is Thomas down I-5 here in Salem. I finally listened to your spoiler show about The Revenant. Didn't watch Bone Tomahawk, but, uh, wow. Um, you know, the spoilers that I would expect to hear were much different, uh, than the ones that I found out after the movie. Uh, it turns out that Hollywood changed, uh, Mr. Glass quite a bit. He never had a son. It was Pawnee. Um, they basically replaced the rifle, uh, his hawk and rifle that he wanted really bad with a Pawnee son and, uh, basic revenge over the person that left him there. Uh, that seems like a huge spoiler, uh, you know, let's, uh, let's replace the rifle with a kid. Okay. Sounds pretty Hollywood. And I guess he crawled for a hundred miles, uh, seemed like he gained speed pretty quickly in the movie. Um, oh, and uh, Fitzgerald never was killed. He joined the army, and Glass couldn't kill him because it would have been a uh, felony to, uh, with the uh, outcome of death for killing somebody that was in the service. And uh, I guess he just went, got he got his rifle back, and three hundred bucks. The uh, captain in the movie was actually a general. Those are the kind of spoilers that I found out after the uh, the movie. Overall, good movie. I felt uh, Leo DiCaprio was okay, um, but I really liked Tom Hardy. I think he had a better uh, role. Um, he continues to amaze. Bane was, eh, Mad Max is great, but, uh, 
I felt that uh, here I am. I'm going to compare another movie here. I think The Hateful Eight was better than The Revenant. Uh, they're two separate movies, but uh, they both have to deal with the cold and the West. And I think Tarantino really uh, got the better of uh, Inuatu or whatever his director's uh, name is. Uh, I haven't seen Birdman, but uh, I hear that's pretty good. So, uh, well, there's my spoilers. Great show. Thanks. Well, thanks for sending that in, Thomas. I appreciate it. I would still recommend that you go check out Bone Tomahawk. It's uh, it's a different kind of movie. I think you'd like it. If you liked Hateful Eight and some of the other things like that, and you, and you enjoyed The Revenant, I think you'll like bone tomahawk it's a, a it's a very different feel and you can tell it's you know a little bit more of a low budget thing but the performances in it are are well done and i think you'll enjoy it it's funny how with hollywood they'll give you the based on a true story and realistically a lot of times the only thing that's that's truth is that oh there was a person at one time named hugh glass uh, i think that was his name if i can remember correctly I will agree with you on Tom Hardy's performances. With the Bane performance, I'm kind of in the same camp with you. It's kind of a meh, it was okay performance. Uh, I felt that his his role in Mad Max was better, and I thought his role here uh, as Fitzgerald was really good. I really thought that he uh, kind of became that character. And uh, but uh, But I liked the movie. I have yet to see Birdman as well. Uh, maybe I'll give that. I'll check that thing out and give it a uh, give it a review here one of these days because I've heard a lot about it. So for reals now, this will be the end of the show, and I will talk to you guys next time. 